my troubles goodbye. Goodbye to each tear and each sigh. This world where I roam cannot be my home. I'm bound for a land in the sky. I walk and I talk with my Lord. I feast every day on his word. Heaven is here and I can stay here. Goodbye world, goodbye. Now don't you weep for me when I'm gone. Cause I won't have to live here alone. And when I hear that last trumpet sound, my feet won't stay on the ground. Gonna rise with my shock. across to that shore and I'll never pine for I'll leave behind my heartache and tears evermore a day maybe two then goodbye tomorrow I'll rise up and fly heaven is here and I can't stay here goodbye world goodbye now don't you weep for me I won't have to leave here alone And when I hear that last trumpet sound My feet won't stay on the ground Gonna ride with my shot, gonna fly Gonna ride with my Lord through the sky Heaven is here and I can't stay here Goodbye world, goodbye Now don't you weep for me when I'm gone sound. My feet won't stay on the ground. Gonna rise with a shout. Gonna fly. Gonna ride with my Lord through the sky. Heaven is near and I can stay here. Goodbye world, goodbye. Goodbye world, goodbye. Goodbye world, Oh, there we go. All right. Yeah, I like that song. That's a good one. All right, take your Bible. Turn over to Jude chapter 1. Jude. It's in there. Yeah, listen to that. Some of you know the verse. It's funny, did you notice there was probably at least four of those verses from our, our uh, 48 that we learned this year that I used this morning alone. Now we're going to use another one. We're just going to go ahead and use another one just to kind of kick things off. I was sitting up here thinking, you know, I didn't even have a verse to kick this off with. Eh, let's see. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Isn't that something? All right, Jude chapter 1 verse 22. And if some have compassion, making a difference. Tonight I told you I want to talk a little bit about what you need to meet needs. What's going to take to do that? And in an article entitled, How to Be Miserable, <clears throat> it said, think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights. Never forgive a criticism. Trust nobody but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect. Demand agreement with your own views on everything. Sulk if people are not grateful uh, to you for favor shown them. Never forget a service you have rendered. Shirk your duties if you can. Do as little as possible for others. How? To be miserable. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how not to be so miserable, but 
I want to share three things that we need in order to be able to help others effectively. Just three simple thoughts, okay? Nothing complicated tonight, but I think it, it might be helpful. And uh, we'll see if we can't uh, learn something. It'll be an encouragement and a help to us this evening. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have together. And Lord, I thank you for the new year. And Lord, just for the uh, anticipation that it provides us, the, the hope that we have going into it. And we pray, Lord, that you would just do a work in this place. <clears throat> Lord, this year may it be a great year at Community Baptist. But more importantly, may it be a great year in so many people's lives as they find the Savior as they begin to grow in Christ Jesus, as their families begin to uh, grow in the Lord and establish themselves in the things of Christ. God of heaven, we need you. <clears throat> we do pray for your leadership this evening. And Lord, may we put ourselves in a position where we can be a blessing and a help to others. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, number one, three things we need in order to be able to help others effectively. Number one, we must be strong enough to help someone. We must be strong enough. I want you to take your Bible, look over, if you would, in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Now, over here in Genesis chapter 14, we're going to be uh, reading about a fellow by the name of Abraham. And we're going to see that Abraham ultimately uh, was used to rescue Lot. For 12 years, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Sodom and the king of Gomorrah had served Chedorlaomer. But in the 13th year, they decided to rebel. A battle ensued, and they and their allies were on the run for their lives. The king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah ended up in a slime pit, while others ran for the mountains. I was going to say run for the hills. Because that's what we normally hear, right? He ran for the hills. Well, that's probably where they got it. Everybody steals from the Bible. Plagiarizes the Word of God. <clears throat> but I thought it was rather interesting as you look over this particular passage and you, you read about the fact that as they're in this battle and they begin to flee, uh, the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah find themselves in the slime pit. They're taken captive there and, of course, um, doesn't turn out well for them. But I got thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah and how morally bankrupt and hopelessly corrupt those cities were who were ultimately destroyed by God. The kings of the nations fell to the enemies. Uh, their kings fell in the slime pits. And how appropriate that is when you think about the fact that they ruled the most vile and most the filthiest cities on the face of the earth, probably, in, in history. And now here they are, coming to their own end in a muddy slime pit. Filthy, just like their cities were. Kind of an interesting picture, if you ask me. But in Genesis chapter 14, we uh, notice what it says in verse 11. Let's start reading in verse 11. The Bible says, And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelled in Sodom and his goods and departed. Now let's jump down to verse 14. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto uh, Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. Now here we're seeing a situation where, you know, Lot has been taken captive, and many of the other inhabitants of the cities have been taken captive, and word gets back to Abram that, uh, that of course, his uh, nephew has been taken by the enemy and is in real trouble. And so the real wisdom of the world would have probably been um, one where, you know, caution would have been important. Where Abraham would have thought to himself, you know, these kings have just overcome these nations and Lot has been taken and <clears throat> they're probably going to sell him into slavery, into Mesopotamia. And so 
I'm going to go try and negotiate a prisoner swap. Now, that would have probably been wise to do, and the caution would have been certainly uh, something that uh, most would have encouraged and said that's probably the way to go. I can hear him saying, you know, my Lord, you've, you have amongst your captives uh, one by the name of Lot. I'm sure you plan on selling him and his goods or his, his family into slavery. And so I tell you what, I'll buy him. I'll do that. May I suggest a ransom? Just tell me your price. And, you know, the world in a way would be saying to Abram, you know, money talks. You only need to speak their language. Everybody has a price. But Abram had nothing to do with that kind of compromise. The time for debate was over. He had to act, and he had to act now. And he acted in the will of God. And can I tell you, he did it swiftly. Of course, he was sensibly, sensible about it, but he was also successful. He mobilized his own people. It's interesting to note that the Bible says that he had 318 born in his house. He mobilizes them. They were all skilled in the way of the sword. They'd been trained and prepared. They were ready at a moment's notice. And within the hour, they were marching northward toward the enemy. Then Abram, like a general, he divides his small company, 318. He divides them and he took advantage of the, uh, of the cover of night, the Bible tells us. He overpowers the enemy sentries. He then fights with all his might. And then on the end, and when it's all said and done, we find him pursuing those that are on the run. What an incredible victory. And it can only be explained in terms of God himself. And God obviously was with Abram and those of his household. Lot and his family, of course, were rescued along with many others that had been taken captive. Abraham, however, as we read, had prepared his house. And that's something that I think is important. He had prepared his house for battle. He was able to rescue those that were taken captive. He was able to meet a need. He was able to help. Why? Because he had spent time and put forth the effort to train and prepare his household. He had a household that was in order. He had insisted on discipline. He had demanded order in the home. He had developed the character of each of his household. He had inspired a confidence toward him as a leader. He had expected all to put, pull their own weight. And in summary, we could say that he had built a strong family. 318 of his own household. They were in a position to help others because they had been prepared through the years. Sure, they had their problems too. But their problems weren't anything like those being faced by others at this point in their life. You know, we have to have our families in order. If we hope to help others, then our marriages must be biblically based. Our families must be doctrinally sound. Our homes must be scripturally grounded. God doesn't leave much up to us, as, as much to us as we'd like to believe. You know, it's like we sometimes get the idea in our own minds, well, there's a lot of leeway. There's a lot of gray area in this thing called Christianity. As a leader in my home, as the priest of my household, I can direct my family as I see fit. That's not what the Bible teaches, though. You don't get the right to direct anything, sir. Your Lord should be directing you, and then you should be passing that down to the family. And can I tell you, God does some pretty big things. He clearly outlines roles and responsibilities in this book. He openly exposes right and wrong. He readily provides a roadmap for success in our lives, in our marriages, in our families. 
We have to obey the Word of God. We have to follow in His footsteps. We have to do exactly as He outlines in Scripture. And may I say that He is pretty detailed. If you've read your Bible through this year, you read through the Old Testament where He literally spells out every little aspect of sacrifice and service to Him. And yet in the New Testament under grace, we somehow get the idea that we can live however we choose, do whatever we want, and as long as we feel as though God is on our side, it's all right. We, we can make up our own rules, so to speak. But if we're going to help others, then we are going to have to have, we're going to have to be strong. But not just personally strong, not just physically strong. We're going to have to have strong families. Because I'll tell you this much, it's hard for somebody to help others when their family's falling apart. I know Abraham had to be strong personally, but his home had to be strong collectively in order to be in a position to help those in need. In this case, they went and literally rescued those that had been taken captive by the enemy. And as we look at the Christian life, we understand and recognize that our responsibility is to rescue those that have been taken captive by Satan, yes, but then also to rescue those and help those that are in need today in their daily lives, whether they be Christian or lost. There's an important aspect to helping people, but there's a spiritual aspect, as we'll note here in a little bit later. How strong are you today? How strong is your family? Because both of them matter. A person says, I want to help people. If your home is not in order, it will limit your ability to help others. As a matter of fact, it may totally squelch your opportunities in the end. Abraham was prepared for battle because his household was biblical. It was doctrinal. It was scriptural. How are you doing tonight? Because it's important. If you hope to help others. So number one, we noted that what we need to meet needs is that we must be strong enough to help someone. But that strength goes beyond our own personal strength. It goes into our very homes. We're building strong children and strong relationships and strong family ties so that we as a family can do something that will impact the world in which we live so that we can rescue the perishing, care for the dying. But number two, what do we need to meet needs? We need to be stable enough to help someone. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I kind of use the word stable because it begins with an S. But when we get to it, you'll see what I'm talking about. Take your Bible, look over to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. We're going to read about another fellow here who helped someone along the way. A fellow that was often referred to as the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that shewed mercy on him. 
Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. You say, I'm still trying to figure out the connection. Be stable. Where are you going with this? If we hope to be able to help those in need, we're going to need to have the ability to do so. Not only must we have our lives, our families, our homes in order, but we must also be financially capable of doing so. You say, ah, there you go, money again. Well, it's just the reality of life. Did you see what transpired here? Did you see what the Good Samaritan did? He did something that I find to be very interesting indeed. The passage says that he went, on, he, he went to him and bound him with, and, uh, up his wounds, verse 34, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And when he left on the morrow, he took out two pence, money, gave them to the host, take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I'll repay thee. He couldn't have done that if he didn't have money in his pocket. He couldn't have done that if he hadn't been financially sound. He couldn't have done that if he wasn't stable in his financial dealings. Sorry, I can't help you. I don't have any money. Sorry, I can't do anything for you. I haven't prepared for a rainy day. And you say, well, it's not my job to take care of the world. Go and do thou likewise. That's all, it's what he said. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. You say, well, that's Old Testament then. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier in the message. We are quite good at determining what God expects of us, even though the Bible outlines it very clearly. <clears throat> Biblically, then. I mean, the Good Samaritan, he, he had the, the right heart. He had the right outlook. And he had the resources to help. You say, well, if I ever get money, I'll help. That's not the point. The message is, is this, that you must be stable enough to help people. you got to be strong enough, yes. you got to make sure that your home is in order. you got to make sure that your life is in order, that your marriage is in order, that things are right with you so that you are able to focus attention on others. But you also need to prepare to help others, and that means being stable in your finances. So what do we need to do? Biblically, we must manage our finances according to the Word of God then. Because once again, God outlines that for us. God's the one that tells us how to spend our money and how not to spend our money. He's the one that tells us what should be a priority in our life and what shouldn't be a priority in our life. He's the one that tells us that he's going to meet our needs. We better be careful with our wants. That we better prioritize what's important in life and prioritize what's important to God and prioritize what's needed and necessary to minister effectively to the world in which we live. So what do we need to do? That means we must work then. We've got to work, first of all. Number two, we have to save. You say, it's kind of hard to do that. I'm not saying you're going to save a lot, but we better save something. Better figure a way out. Figure something out. People say, I ain't got no money. What am I going to do? Well, you're either going to work more hours, get another job, or you're going to have to start cutting your costs. Because there is no other way to make it in the world if you don't make more than you spend. It is that simple. There is nothing complicated about finances. You just have to have more money than you spend. And you say, well, that's stupid. That's easy. But how do you do this? And how do you do... You have to have more money than you spend. But what do you do when you don't have it? then you have to change what you spend. Somehow, some way, you figure it out. Or you sell everything and go live at the haven. I don't know, but one way or another, you're going to end up there anyway if you don't figure it out. Now, I tell you what, we have crippled America. Our government has crippled America. Crippled them. Because we know we're going to get bailed out no matter what. 
And so therefore, the Bible, let's take it and throw it in the trash. Because it doesn't matter what God says, because we don't need God anymore. We got the government. And sadly enough, that's where we're at in many cases, even in our Christian homes today. <clears throat> if I don't fulfill my responsibility, then God, the government will have to step up and take care of me and my family. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not how God intends it to be, so let's not fall into the same traps. <clears throat> Work, save. Number three, avoid debt. Debt is bad. Debt is bad. It's not good. I don't have any problem using a credit card if you're paying it off every month. But if you're not paying it off every month, then that becomes debt. How many people have been sunk because they didn't utilize proper biblical financial principles? So we got to avoid unscriptural financial practices like debt. Debt places God's children at the mercy of Caesar or the world, the Bible says. In Proverbs 22, 7, the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. That doesn't sound pleasant at all, does it? And it's not pleasant. We've all been there. We know what that's like, most of us, where we've had that burden on our shoulders. If you can't write a check and get out from underneath your debt, if you can't sell your house today and pay it off, then you are in debt. And you know what? That's a scary place to be. And the world says, you know what you'll do for me? You'll do whatever I say because I'll make sure of it. You serve me now. That's what debt does. Debt places us under the authority of someone, something. And God's saying, you shouldn't be under the authority of anyone but me. You say, can't buy a house? Yeah, well, you better make sure when you buy that house that if you, you could sell it tomorrow and pay it off. I'm just saying we need to be very careful with this stuff called debt. I watch young people and adults alike who will not serve the Lord because they are so bound by their finances. People that can't help them, anybody else because they don't have two nickels to rub together. And I don't believe that's how God intended Christians to live. I'm not saying he intended us all to be millionaires. But what I'm saying is he intended us all to be wise in our biblical or our financial practices. I don't care if you make nothing, hardly. You will learn how to trust God and God will meet your needs if you are being completely obedient in your area of finances the way God intended. And if you are working like a dog to do your part. It'll work out. It doesn't always, it's not always pleasant, but it'll work out. Will there be pressure at times? You may be tempted to feel pressure, but if you all have faith in the Lord, he'll meet the need. He will do it. We put so much stock in our finances when it comes to ourselves and our homes. But we never think about, if we're not careful, we forget how important it is in the area of helping others. I'm not a big fan of handing money to people. But there are needs that can be met only through finances. And if you have access to them, you can often help. Work, save, avoid debt. Give to God through the local church as God commands. Most, I, I tell you, it's sad to me to watch people try to, they rob God on one hand, and then they give to others thinking somehow that balances it out. Oh, you're Robin Hood. You steal from the poor, or the rich, God, to give to the poor. Well, good for you, Robin Hood. But I don't know about you, but I'm not going to pull no gun on God and demand money from him. Because that's what robbing is, taking money by force. I'm not going to do that to God. I'm going to try to handle my finances the way God intended. If you want to help people, you truly want to be a blessing to others. You have to be strong. Strong in your relationships, strong in your home. You have to have order in your home. You've got to do things God's way in the home and in your family and in your life. But then you have to handle your finances according to the scriptures. 
God would have us share our blessings with others. In Acts 20, 35, he said, I shewed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the word of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know about you, but with all this money flying around from the government, with all these people standing at corners begging for a dime, sometimes I get a little ticked off about it all. But I got to remember what God put me on earth to do. I got to remember it's not about a person, it's about God and me. So I have to make sure I'm in a position to help someone. You may not have a lot of money, but you, if you will be wise in your finances, you can set aside. You, you got a budget for vacation, probably. I hope you got a budget. If you don't have a budget, you're sunk already. And too many people make enough money, they don't need a budget. You ought to be budgeting something, even a little bit, to give. Just in case God says, hey, do this for them. But you know what? It's kind of hard to buy a pair of shoes for someone else's kid when your kid doesn't have them. It's time. You, you don't. God's amazing. And God will provide for you and your family like nobody's business if you're willing to provide for Him and His work. You'll be amazed what God will do. It is. It's amazing what he can do. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. There are other ways to meet needs in lives, but finances provide a number of opportunities to help others. And be as successful as you can possibly be without compromising. Why not, right? But do it with a purpose. The purpose shouldn't just be to take care of you and your family. Biblically, the purpose ought to be, as he says over there in the book of Acts, as we just talked about, Paul himself, and this is the context of Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He's traveling about, Paul the apostle is, and he's a tent maker in order to meet his own needs and the needs of those that were traveling with him at the time. And he goes on to say, I have shewed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's important we understand that responsibility. And I'll tell you, in the day and age in which we live, sometimes we're so consumed with our own needs that it's hard to even consider helping others. But God would have us do our best to do so. And to try to make sure our finances are in order. To make sure that they are stable. And that'll help tremendously in meeting the needs of others. If you and I hope to meet needs, the needs of others, then we must be strong enough to help someone. We must be stable enough to help someone. And finally... We must be spiritual enough to help someone. This one probably needed to be number one, right? It really, it really probably should have been. But turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 30. So we have Abraham because his home was in order, because he had trained his servants and he had trained his family, his, his, those of his household. He had raised them up properly. He had prepared them for battle. He prepared them for for life itself. He and his household were in a position to help others. They all had the right. Nobody said, well, Dad, that's not my battle. Hey, Abraham, I only work for you. I'm not going to go lay my life on the line for you. Your nephew Lot deserves what he gets. That didn't happen. He obviously raised them to feel like they had a sense of responsibility to both him and to whatever he felt was necessary and needful. Wouldn't it be nice if your children were raised in a way that when you got in a battle in life, so to speak, you could say, hey, kids, let's go. It's time to do some warfare. Or, hey, kids, we're going to have to sacrifice a little bit in order to meet the needs of those people. And the kids go, all right, that's cool. We're on, we're on board. 
We're ready to go with, we're willing to sacrifice so that they can have something. Wouldn't that be nice? Instead of them complaining, well, I never get anything new. It's always, how come we give everything else to everybody else? How come they're the only ones? You never do nothing for us, but you do everything for everyone else. That's partly bad raising, bad training. I tease my wife all the time about giving the bus kids all the best treats. But I haven't lost one night's rest over it. And you, know, and, I, you, you and I both know, and some of you teachers even understand this a little bit, a lot of money goes into that stuff. We have a budget for the bus ministry in our house. We take money out every week because it costs money to do those things. But it's worth it. Souls weigh in the balance. My kids are all in the bus ministry for the most part, or have been at least in the past. They didn't grow bitter toward the bus kids. They didn't grow bitter toward the, well, if you would take that money and spend it on us, we might be able to actually have something nice. No, they got on board. You've got to be strong in your family. You need to be stable in your finances. And number three, we have to be spiritual enough to help someone. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is a familiar passage as well. I believe that, it's one of my favorites actually, but chapter 30, look at verse 1. Let's start in verse 1. Of course, David and his men are going to return now to Ziglag. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day, chapter 30, 1 Samuel, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captive and were therein, that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people were with him, lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken uh, captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of Stonian. Man, you talk about problems in your life. When's the last time you were worried about getting stoned to death? And yet here's how David responds. David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So that's how David handled it. That's how David responded. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I don't know about you, but David wasn't in the best position possible here. Things weren't really going his way at this point. He could have argued with God and said, you know what, God, I, I, they just took my wives, they just took my families, these people want to kill me. I think I'm going to check out and worry about me. I think I'm going to go get some counseling because I'm really emotionally stressed and strained right now. I feel like people don't appreciate me, God. And because of that, I, I'm going to have to just step back and regroup It's every man for himself because hard times have come on me and my family. Got to have that strong family, remember? Got to have those stable finances, but you also have to be spiritual enough to help people. Because what did David ultimately do? He goes to God. And can I say that The strong and the stable life, so to speak, is predicated upon the spiritual life already. When it all hit the fan, the greatest need of the people at that moment was a man, a spiritual man. They needed someone that could get a hold of God. That's what they needed. Now, they wanted to kill him, but David didn't respond the way most of us would have. He turned to God. I got to believe his heart was breaking. I got to believe that he was missing his family. I got to believe that the attacks of those that he loved and cared about, that he had sunk his life into, that he had truly sacrificed on behalf of over and over again, bothered him. It broke his heart. But 
He knew where to turn and who to get a hold of for help. In Psalm chapter 118, uh, 8 and 9, it says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. In Psalm 146, verse 3, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Don't you look to people. Don't trust them to meet the needs in your life or to help you along the way. You look to God. You know what our problem today is many times too many people are looking for others to come alongside and really help them. And you say, well, that's what the church is for. Uh, To some degree, we're to bear one another's burdens, not carry them for them. We're to work together and help them carry them, not do it for them. People have the wrong impression of what the house of God and the church is all about. They get the idea that the church is there to do for me. At my bidding, I have a need. You should be meeting it. Families call up. Hey, my family member is having a hard time. Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you, Buster? It's your responsibility. We've gotten this mentality where people think the church is there to bail everybody out. Even Christians, if they're not careful, come to that conclusion. That's not the issue. The point is you shouldn't be looking to people to bail you out of nothing. You and I should be looking to God to bail us out. Really, we need to. It's so important. You know why we're always so disappointed in people? Because our expectations on them is higher than what God says they ought to be many times. It's not your mother and father's job to bail you out financially when you're 30 and 40 and 50 years old. Well, I can't believe my mom and dad didn't give me money when they knew I needed it. You know what your problem is? Your expectations are wrong. It's not their job to bail you out. Why haven't you, how much have you prayed about it? Have you fasted and prayed about it? Are you looking to man? Or are you looking to God? I'm not saying that parents can't help their kids. I'm not saying grandparents can't help their grandkids. I'm just saying we better teach our children, to look to God. And how that happens? When we look to God. You'll never be a blessing and a help to others like God intends you to be if you can't get help from God first. That's a spiritual issue. You know what? Everybody's not going to be kind to you in life. And if we're going to be fit to help others, then we have to be able to find help from God himself. In Hebrews 13, 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Psalm 9, 10, and they that know thy name, you know this one, don't you? Will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them. I don't want to look at it. That seek thee. They're not going to forsake you. If you know his name, you know he's able. Psalm 121.2, my help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Again, I'm not saying we're not going to need others at times. That's not what I'm implying. But the bulk of our needs will be met directly and specifically by God himself, freeing us up to help others then. When we know our needs will be met by God, we are much more prone and apt to help other people with needs. Not everybody is where we're, well, if I have to do it that way, why don't they? Because you shouldn't, you're beyond them now. There are differences in people. And there are different levels of spirituality. A new baby in Christ should not be where you are after 20 years of being saved. You need to teach and train them that are younger. You might need to help someone that's lost. They don't know that they should be relying on the Lord, but you do, and because you do, you don't have to worry. You can rest easy and know that your focus doesn't have to be on you and your needs, but on the needs of others now. When others hopelessly and helplessly throw their hands in the air and succumb to despair and discouragement, the spiritual man or woman turns to God and finds strength. Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
man, if you and I want to help meet needs, if we hope to meet needs in the lives of others, if we hope to rescue the perishing, then we've got to be spiritual. We have to be. So, as we close, here's the message then. Too often we're trying to help others when we ourselves are in need of it. We're trying to help people when we don't have it figured out. When our families are a mess, our finances are upheaved, our spiritual lives aren't where they belong with the Lord, and we're trying to help people, and we wonder why we, come, we, get, we get bitter or, or kind of upset and frustrated with other people who don't understand why we, you know, recognize what we did. And how, don't they realize what it cost us to, cost me and my family to do that for them? And I've not even gotten a thank you. See, that's a spiritual problem. And number two, it might even be a financial problem because you don't have the money to just throw it away. You were hoping to get something in return, even if it wasn't payment. You wanted someone to pat you on the back, someone to tell you how wonderful a Christian you are, and to tell you thank you. Because that makes you feel good about yourself. Because if that's why we're doing what we're doing, then we're doing it for all the wrong reasons. It is impossible to lead others where we haven't been. We've got to be the we got to step out here. we got to do things right. If we're going to help people, again, I'm not insinuating that you and I must be perfect, but we must put, we got to put ourselves in a place where our needs are small compared to those we're trying to help. If you have a strong relationship with your wife, a strong family, <clears throat> things are well in the home, you have stable finances, and you are growing spiritually, you know what you don't have as much as others do? Problems. And when you don't have as many problems, you know what you are free to do? Help others. And then there are those people that do try to help everybody when everything's falling apart around them. And that's kind of frustrating to watch, too. Let me tell you how to fix your relationship. And I'm thinking, well, why don't you fix yours first? Let me tell you how to deal with your money. Well, why don't you get out of debt first? Why are you trying to tell me how to spend? You've gone bankrupt two times in the last 10 years. Oh, you learned so many great lessons? I'm telling you, get your finances in order, get your home in order, get your life spiritually in order, and you'll be in a position to help people like you never dreamed possible. Work at being strong, stable, and spiritual. Build up your family by introducing, inserting, and infusing biblical truth and principles into the lives of all those under your roof. Outline your financial goals, establish a budget and save money so that you can have the freedom to give and share as God directs. Choose to grow spiritually. Prioritize the house of God and the word of God. Spend time with the Lord who can meet your every need. There's the recipe to help people. It isn't complicated, but it's not always easy either because we got to get strong. We have to get stable. And we need to be spiritual. And if we'll put those all together, we'll be able to focus our attention on those who Jesus focused on, others, instead of ourselves and our own. Simple, but I think practical. And something that we need to think about. When you come to the end of your life, and you look back on what you've accomplished and what you've done and who you have impacted and helped, will you be able to say, I did all I could to make a difference in the world in which I live? Or will you have to say to yourself, I spent the majority of my time 
taking care of me and mine only. Which will it be? I don't think any of us would argue what he would want from us. I think we all understand what he wants. Let's put ourselves in a position to help others today. You might be able to help more than I can. I might be able to help more than you can. But let's do what we can. Just like Jesus said about that woman, she did what she could. Work at putting yourself in a position to help others. By getting strong, becoming stable, and being spiritual. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the simplicity of the truth and help us, Lord, just to give some thought to these simple ideas. And Lord, there's no doubt that you want us to be a blessing to others. And Lord, sometimes it's very difficult to do that. And in some cases, you don't want us to do anything because, Lord, you don't want us to upset what you're trying to accomplish in a life. However, many times, Lord, we're not in a position to help. You may impress upon our heart to do something On behalf of someone, and yet, Lord, we don't have the supply or the surplus. We don't have what we need to get the job done. And, Lord, help us to prepare and ready ourselves so that we are in that place. Help us to prioritize what's important to us financially and spiritually and even relationally. May we not spread ourselves so thin that we're unable to do things that will ultimately impact the lives of those that maybe we don't even know personally today but you will introduce us to down the road. Father, help us, Lord, we pray. We'll give to you the glory and the honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's all stand.